Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. So, verse 1 in our passage, uh, if you've got your Bible, you want to uh, open it up. I'm not sure what page it's on. Anybody want to shout out? What? 224 in the New Testament part of the Bible, uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Um, it opens up by saying, let mutual love continue. One of the great things about being a, a minister is getting to officiate weddings. You know, definitely don't do them as often uh, as my predecessors probably did, um, people tending to choose other ways uh, and other people uh, to marry them. Uh, however, it is a great privilege to me. And when, when I am officiating at a wedding, I really labor uh, a particular point. And that point is that love is more than a feeling. It is far more than a feeling. You know, if when we think of love, we might think of love hearts. We might think of Valentine's Day. We might think of romance and the, the fluttering feeling that you get when you meet your uh, significant other always. <laughs> or even just the thought of, of getting to spend time with them. Now I'm laboring the point. But I like to labor that point that it's far more than just a feeling. Because that feeling of your wedding day will pass eventually where you and your spouse are the, the center of attention. Everyone's eyes are on you, celebrating the love that you have for one another and the commitment that you've made to one another. But that will fade over time. And it's in those times or times where you come up against real hardship that you recognize that love is far more than just a feeling. It requires an action. I like to see love as a verb or a doing word, as my primary school teachers used to say. It's a doing word. Love requires us to, to act. And if we had read the entirety of uh, the letter to the Hebrews, we would see that there's a real thrust to the argument of the author of Hebrews, and that is to show that Jesus is the greatest, and it is in him that we see true and real love. However, as we get to this final chapter, chapter 13, we've come down from the, the rejoicing on Mount Zion uh, in chapter 12 to almost everyday things, earthly issues. And it's about hospitality, marriage, talks about church officers, those who are in jail, being released from jail. 
And this is where it really hits home for me, that, that Christianity, and within Christianity, there is no division between doctrine or ideas and action. But there needs to be action. Meat put on the bones, you know, action to our words. They always go together. That whenever there is an idea or a doctrine, something we hold to, that there needs to be action born out of it. Because real love requires and produces tangible things, tangible actions. And in a Christian sense, we are reminded in our passage this morning that, that is found in things such as kindness to strangers, empathy for those who are in prison, or indeed those who have been mistreated. We're being urged to let our mutual love continue. We need to remember those who find themselves in tough, tough times. This mutual love that is spoken about in that first verse in chapter 13 is about a brotherly or sisterly love. Our brothers and sisters that are found in Christ Jesus. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, these Hebrew people would have come up against much persecution. They may well have been rejected by their, their friends, some rejected by their own families. But within the family of God, they found brothers and sisters. Having lost their biological families, they found new brothers and sisters in Christ. And this particular passage really brings it home to me that any church fellowship or, or family, whichever word you want to use, congregation, but if we truly want to see ourselves as a, as a, a family that are found in Jesus, if that's not based on love for Him, and love for one another, then it's just not going to last. It's not going to last. Because this just becomes a building that we attend, something that we do out of habit, or something that we think we should do, without actually fully embracing the reason why we gather here, and in whose name we gather. As I said before, we have the absolute privilege to do this in freedom when so many other people don't. But I truly believe those who do embrace being a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, these congregations where that is prevalent, those are the ones that will flourish. And indeed, they are the ones that are flourishing. If you look around, do your research, you'll see the ones that fully devote themselves to Jesus and aren't afraid to say his name. They're the ones that will flourish and they are flourishing. And they are flourishing in all parts of the world. We might be struggling here in the West, but in other parts of the world, we see the church growing. There are a number of other references to this, this family style of love, this mutual love found throughout the entire Bible. Certainly in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9,
Paul says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. And then there's this one. Outdo one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Showing honor. We are to hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We need to allow our love to act and actually honor one another. And that includes our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. We're able to see that throughout the letters of the New Testament. Go in and take a look through them. You'll see that we have that call to love our brothers and sisters. And in verse 2 of Hebrews, so back to our passage, um, we read, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. If we're to see this mutual love being carried out, it goes without saying that there would be some sense of hospitality involved in it. That's exactly what is brought up here in verse 2. It's such an incredibly important ministry that each of us are called to. We're all called to hospitality. But it was even more so important for the early church believers. It started to follow uh, Jesus and they're being persecuted. They may well have been driven away from their, their own homes. So they needed somewhere to stay. They needed someone to look after them. And they found that, that love in action in and amongst their church family. Equally, there would have been traveling ministers, people like Paul, um, who would have needed somewhere to stay. Not a lot of money uh, in traveling ministry, especially when Christians are being persecuted. He needed somewhere to stay. He might not have had enough money to be able to afford to stay in an inn. But I love that idea of entertaining angels. And there are a number of people in the, the Old Testament where we see them entertaining angels and they're completely unaware of it. You know, I love in Genesis chapter 18 with Abraham. That's one of my, my favorites. He immediately goes to serve these three men that just turn up at his tent. And on the back of that, they're gifted and blessed with the knowledge that they'll receive a son. Even although they're older in age and probably had given up. But through this action of hospitality. Unaware that he was serving angels in his presence. He receives that blessing on the back of it. There's also the, the calling of uh, Gideon. Uh, in Judges chapter 6, which is another one of my, my favorites. I would urge you to go and uh, read that, um, where again, they are blessed on the back of that hospitality to an angel. But the thing is, we might say something like, um, oh, I, I don't think I can do uh, hospitality. It's not in my, my gifting. I'm not very good uh, at baking or anything else. I don't know how to, to do that. Um, it might also be that we might think, well, our, our house or our, our home uh, isn't large enough 
to be able to, to do that, so I don't think I can do uh, hospitality. But the thing is, I have this picture in my head of what hospitality can be, and it was really solidified uh, when I came through here. And if you have a table and two chairs, you have a table and two chairs, you can offer hospitality to someone. You invite them in and make them feel comfortable and at home, comfortable and at home. That's what hospitality is about. You might not be able to host someone for weeks and weeks on end. You might not even be able to make them a meal or, but you might do. But we're blessed with a cafe that's open every single day. And there's a table and there are four chairs, not just two. If you have a table and two chairs, you can offer hospitality to someone and welcome them in. There might be people here in our church that, that would be willing to do that and offer them that hospitality, a listening ear, someone to make them feel comfortable, make them feel at home here in the meeting place and within our congregation. That's what hospitality means. It simply means making people feel comfortable and at home at any particular given time. And as a church and as individuals, we should embrace that. Make sure that the, the person who is known to us and the stranger are made to feel welcome as they come in amongst us. And we continue to build on what we currently have. And I'm not looking to blow smoke up anyone. But whenever any of our friends have come here, anybody that we've known that have come here, they have every single one of them, every single one of them has commented on the welcome that they received and how amazing it was. And that, I know pride is a sin, but, there are no buts, but, <laughs> That filled me with so much joy. And we need to continue to build on that because that's something to be, to be nurtured and to be proud of, that we are willing to make people feel welcome as Jesus has welcomed us. Before I start crying, I'm going to move on to verse 3. Let's move on to verse 3. Where it says, Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured, as though you yourselves were being tortured. We are to have empathy with other people. You know, in our world, we live in this individualized state where the individual uh, is highlighted over the idea of um, community. And I could talk for, for hours on that, and I'm not going to, but we need to understand that we need to have empathy for other people. And it's not about um, thinking less of ourselves. You know, we are important to God too. Um, but it's about thinking less of ourselves and also looking to the needs uh, of others. And we're called here in verse 3 to have empathy for those who find themselves in prison 
or those who have been tortured or persecuted. It's especially for, but not limited to, um, fellow Christians that find themselves in prison, especially those that are imprisoned for their faith. It's important to note that this might mean those who are very much in a prison cell, as we've seen uh, in a that short video that there are those who are in prison cells without ever having had a trial. But equally, it could be those that find themselves very much in a prison where they're having to go underground to worship. They're not able to do it freely. They are in a prison state of mind where they're unable to proclaim openly the name of Jesus, that we have the freedom to do here in Scotland, but so often choose to remain quiet. In Matthew 25, verse 36, Jesus says that his true followers, his true followers would represent him as they went to visit those who were in prison. Indeed, it would be him that we would be serving as we serve others. Remember those in prison is what the author of Hebrews says. And I kind of wondered what that word meant to you when you hear the word remember. What does it mean? So have a wee think and I'll come back. Maybe even chat to those that are around you. Just for, just for a minute, what does that word mean to you? Remember. What does it conjure up? And those of you at home, you might want to write something in the, in the chat. Um, that would be great. What comes to mind when you hear the word remember? Okay. Is there anything in the chat? Oh, you're holding back on me. You're holding back on me. Okay. Anybody brave enough to shout anything out? Those who are not here now? Mm -hmm. Don't forget. Memories? Good and bad. Those who have hurt you. Those who have hurt you. Day. Getting dressed. Day-to-day <laughs> <laughs> -day things. Tasks. Yeah. Marlene. Find out what kind of 
kind of awareness of yeah, a kind of awareness of uh, people that are around and being able to kind of yeah. I guess we've had a variety of answers there, and I guess it depends on the context, right? When you think of the word remember, it may well be that it's day-to-day things. Um, for our young people, it might be that they need to remember stuff uh, to pass an exam. I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. Sorry. It might be that we have memories, good and bad, of, of people and, and situations. It might be that we remember people who are no longer with us. Um, you know, next week we'll look at remembering those who have lost their lives um, in war. And as I say, it's all about context. It could be something as, as, as deep and, and as meaningful as that, or it might be something as boring and banal and everyday as, why didn't I write a shopping list? What is it that I need? You know, trying to remember things as you go and do simple tasks. But I always ask myself a question when it comes to remembering. And that is, does remembering, does remembering also involve us actually doing something? And I truly believe it does. It should provoke us to a reaction. The issue that we are looking at the, this morning is an ongoing problem. It hasn't changed since those words were first written on a piece of parchment in a letter to the Hebrews. Unfortunately, the body of Christ, the church here on earth, continue to receive persecution. Christians suffer for their faith, and they may well face imprisonment uh, for that faith. The thing is, Jesus let people know that this was a very real issue uh, in our world. He speaks uh, to the disciples and he says, you know, the world will hate you, but know that it hated me first. Because you follow me, the world will come after you. We shouldn't be surprised that there is persecution in our world. It doesn't make it right. But Jesus let us know that it shouldn't surprise us. You know, as Christians in the UK, we are highly, highly unlikely to face the threat of imprisonment for our faith. And we have a, a responsibility to actively remember our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. You know, this letter to the Hebrews was written to Christians who had experienced persecution and were experiencing it. They had a, they had a past. They understood it. They were able to remember what it's like. They had a great track record of standing alongside people who were being persecuted, visiting them, looking after them. It's why they're being reminded to do it. If we go back to chapter 10 in Hebrews, and that's at verses 32 through to 
34, where the author is saying to them, but recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, once they had come to know Jesus, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. You were there. You saw it. You were part of it. And then in verse 34, for you had compassion for those who were in prison. You cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possessed something better and more lasting. They were there. They'd seen it. They need to remember it, and in their remembering, they need to act upon it. However, it would seem that some of them were being tempted away from that. Don't put yourself in that position again. Distance yourself a little bit from those who are being publicly outed and persecuted. They don't want to associate themselves with those who are in the prisons. And all throughout the letter of uh, Hebrews, the author is telling them to that they need to keep going, keep running that race. They need to keep going, endurance. And he keeps, keeps it going here in this final chapter. But he's encouraging them to keep loving one another. Continue to remember those who are being persecuted for their faith. Those who we are called to remember, the brothers and sisters in Christ. We should respond to those that are suffering as if they are our family. The question we have to ask ourselves is, how would we respond if it was our mum or, or dad, our brother or our sister? a son or a daughter that found himself in prison for their faith? Would we turn away? Would we distance ourselves? Or would we do absolutely everything that we can to help them? You know, as I was saying to our Kirk session on Tuesday, a very different, different context, but I was saying that you know, we only know what we know. We can only remember what we've seen. So we can only remember things and people if we have the knowledge at our disposal. You know, believers in the, the early church were a very close-knit group of people. They knew each other. They lived together. They did everything together. They were a family. They knew these things that were going on. It wasn't hidden from them. But today, we are part of a, a global church family all over. And I believe we need to be intentional in seeking out the information that we need. It's not easy for us. We're not that close-knit group. We sometimes fail within our little close-knit group here of not knowing what's going on. Part of that is people becoming more private and not wanting to share things. I get that. 
But we need to be more intentional in terms of getting to know the stories of our brothers and our sisters in other parts of the world. We need to do the research, get to know what the issues are that will allow us to pray and allow us to actively be involved in remembering them and loving them better. The thing is, these kinds of stories are highlighted all of the time in the Release International magazine, which is called Voice. And I'd encourage you to, to read that when you get the chance. Um, it's wonderful uh, that Margaret's able to provide us with uh, copies of that. And there's usually a few copies sitting in the meeting plates. And I'm sure that if you wanted any more information, Margaret would love to speak to you about it. But I also thought we would watch a video that I found this week, um, which was created by um, Open Doors uh, UK and Ireland. And it highlights the, the top 10 countries where choosing to, to follow Jesus the most is uh, the most costly, the most costly decision that you can make. So we're going to just watch this video. Um, as I say, it's by Open Doors UK and Ireland. There are countries where Christians live in fear, where churches are bombed and houses burned, where following Jesus means sacrificing jobs, security, family. There are countries where you must keep your faith secret or it might get you killed. These are the countries of the Open Doors World Watch List. And here are the 10 countries where following Jesus costs the most. Number 10. India. Many extremists claim that to be Indian is to be Hindu. They want an India without religious minorities, and they are using violence to achieve it. Number 9. Iran. Iranian Christians must meet secretly. Being discovered could mean long sentences in appalling prisons. Number 8. Pakistan. Christians in Pakistan are considered second-class citizens. Innocent believers are falsely accused of blasphemy. Thousands of women are victims of kidnap and forced conversion. Number 7. Nigeria Nigeria is the country where Christians face the most outright violence. Many Christians have been killed or driven from their homes. Number 6. Eritrea more than 1,000 Christians are imprisoned for their faith in Eritrea. Some pastors have been locked up for over a decade without charge. Number 5. Yemen Yemeni culture is tribal. Those who leave the tribal faith could be banished or even killed. Number 4. Libya In this lawless land, Libyan Christians have to keep their faith secret or risk punishment, arrest, or death. Number 3. Somalia Islamist extremists consider Somali Christians high-value targets, so the tiny population of only a few hundred secret believers keep out of sight. Number 2. North Korea There are around 400,000 Christians in North Korea. All of them must hide their faith. Discovery means exile, execution, or being worked to death in horrific labor camps. 
Number 1. Afghanistan The Taliban takeover means that Afghanistan is the new number one, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Many Christians have become refugees. Those who remain must keep their faith utterly secret. There are countries where Christians live in fear, but fear can lead to courage and courage leads to hope. At least 360 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination, but they have not given up. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with them. Where Christians are persecuted, our global underground networks supply smuggled Bibles and Christian books, spiritual care, emergency food and aid, training and legal advice. Where Christians are free, we work with local churches to raise our voices in prayer, to speak truth to those in power, to strengthen our persecuted family around the world. Because there are countries where Christians have to stay silent, and there are countries where Christians can make a noise. But we are all connected. We are all family, and together we can help one another to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. There are a number of things in that video that, that surprised me. The first one was that there was a particular country that I was expecting to be in the top 10 that wasn't. Um, and I'm not going to say it, which country it was, but I think you know. Um, and a number of countries that have snuck onto that top 10 list, um, seemingly out of nowhere. But um, I was surprised that there was 400,000 Christians in North Korea. That surprised me um, in a good way. And I love that part at the end where it says that there are Christians who can make a noise as opposed to those who have to remain silent. And we are the ones who can make a noise. It's important uh, for us to see here that remembering goes far further than just recalling the facts. Uh, that we might see in a particular video like the one we've just watched. But it needs to lead us into action, just like we sang earlier. The writer to the Hebrews is not calling for sympathy, but for empathy and identification, that we would identify with our brothers and sisters. He says that we should remember as if we were with them, that we were actually there with them that we would put ourselves into their shoes. And the thing is, it might be that, and I've seen this in other places and know people that do it, um, usually around Lent, um, where something is given up, given up. They, they might deprive themselves of something. It might be um, food or a particular food stuff. It might be their phones. It might be some other kind of technology but they enter into a period of fasting or they give something up in order to, to better understand the needs of others, that by denying ourselves a particular thing, we have a bit of an insight into what other people are being denied. It might be that, that we choose to do something like that, very, very visual action, 
to allow us to be in a better position to understand and to remember and to pray for our brothers and sisters in prison. But whatever it is that we do, our love for Jesus and His church, which is filled with our brothers and sisters all over the world, it needs to provoke that reaction. And it might be that we we endeavor to, to stay informed. Like I said, we can only know what we know and remember what we've heard. It might be that we choose to, to continue to stay informed. And that's why I highlighted Release International's Voice magazine. That is a, a great way for, for us to stay informed what is the, what is the latest goings-on with the work of Release. There's also their website, uh, that's updated regularly. They have a podcast and obviously social media channels too. It might be that we, we make a decision that we, our action is that we're going to be praying for our brothers and sisters. And again, there are many resources. Uh, there is the prayer shield, uh, which is a prayer diary. Um, and you get that with The Voice magazine. Uh, or it is again available on the Release International website. One of the, the interesting uh, things that, that I'm really kind of praying into in terms of what, what I might do, and that is to, to write to our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. There's a, a reach out, uh, not, not our reach out, a, a reach out leaflet that's available, um, and it will have prisoner profiles on it that will allow you to write to particular people. Equally, it might be that, that we wish to give uh, financially. And it might be that there is a, a current appeal that, that really, really hits a, a point in your heart that, that you wish to, to give of your finances. It might be that, that you can support Kier's Coffee Morning um, in December as funds are raised to go to the important work of Release International, as they reach out in practical ways, that our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted in other parts of the world might receive some of that brotherly and sisterly love from here. So let's choose to remember our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world where they're being persecuted for making that decision to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And let's choose to do as the, the author of Hebrews says, remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are part of this global family brought together by you and our faith in you. Lord, by your Spirit, would it continue to break our hearts when we hear of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world 
being persecuted for the very things that we are free to do here in Scotland. And might it not be something that we only think about once a year as we mark it on International Day of Prayer, but it would be something that would be so integral to us that in our love and in our remembering, it would provoke us to action. That because you are a God of justice, that we would go each of us with our own gifts, lead us by your Spirit. Whether that's in the area of, of praying, whether that's in the area of financial giving, whether it's in the, the writing to our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. Lord, we just pray that we would be used by you that our love would be a doing work and that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world would know that we are thinking about them, remembering them, and that we love them. And we thank you that you loved us first, allowing us to love you. Lord, would you help us to serve angels in and amongst us, even if we don't know that they are. Lord, help us to remember. And we offer this prayer in your precious name. Amen.